Praise God. Praise God. You get a little older, you get bigger Bibles. And when you're a kid, you think you need a real thick Bible so you don't have any words missing. I found out that's about the way it is when you get older. Uh, You get a thin Bible and you miss a lot of words. (laughs) They're in there, but you just can't see them. Luke 21, 17. Now, Jesus is beginning prophecy concerning the end time. The destruction of Jerusalem is foretold in verse 20 through verse 24. Then 25 through 28, the return of the Lord in glory is found. That's equivalent to Matthew 24, 29 through 31. Then the parable of the fig tree, which also is found in Matthew 24, verse 32 and 33 and Mark 13, 28 and 29, is found in verse 29 through verse 33. And then there are some warnings concerning uh, the Lord's return in verse 34 through 38. I think Jesus could come any day for the rich. I believe that. Jesus had this to say in Luke 21, 17, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Praise God. Now that is prophecy concerning the end time. It's not talking about anti-God people, but it's talking about people in general who will hate you for the name of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm really amazed, and I made this um, statement publicly several times now, how many people on radio talk shows I spent a lot of time in the car. <laughs> a lot of time in my vehicle. I have a phone in both vehicles and, you know, listen to tapes and listen to radio and stay on the run all the time. I told Sister Carolyn, I said, Carolyn, I called her up and I said, run out in the parking yard lot and clear the runway. I'm coming in for a landing. <laughs> but uh, I'm really amazed at how many Christians are really made fun of. when they call in and they disagree with some of the moral issues that are being taught or talked about. And when, when you mention the Bible in relationship to your view, you know, if you don't have a better reason than that, don't even call in. That's basically what to tell you. I mean, that's crazy. Surely you're not that narrow-minded. See, here's what's happening. I, I want you to... I want you to listen to, listen very carefully. If you want to pass, most people pass judgment on everything they hear, you know. That's just the way life is. But don't pass judgment prematurely. Wait till you, wait till you hear everything I have to say and then perhaps uh, give it a lot of thought and then pray about it. But the problem that we're facing now is that moral issues are being decided by politicians. 
see. Now, I don't know whether you are aware of this or not, but that is exactly what takes place in a socialistic society. That means social issues are under the control of the government. Basically, the government owns your soul. They tell you what to do. It was in the 80s, not 80s, pardon me, it was in the 70s that the Christian school movement started in America. And it started as a result of the government taking much control over families. Now, this is a very sensitive issue, but listen to me. When the government controls your life socially, and that's when many people, about 45% of all Americans, went on welfare. I call it welfare. Uh, it is called the Department of Social Services. Now you may say, well, what's wrong with that? The problem is that once they start giving you money, they also tell you how to raise your children. And when they give you money, there are always many strings attached. That's the whole problem. There are cases in which people need money. They're legitimate. They should be helped. But still, in cases like that, I don't think that the government should settle moral issues for you. The Christian school movement started. Now, because of the easing up of some of the pressure in the 80s, and then we go into the 90s, many churches have closed down their Christian schools thinking that things are getting better, but I'm telling you they're not getting better. They are not getting better. In fact, things are much worse now than they ever have been. And moral issues were always, according to Scripture, to be decided by the church. And as far as I can see, because that government is wanting to establish so many social programs, we are much closer to a socialistic type government than what you might envision. Now, I tie that into the scripture by saying that Jesus warned us that the day would come in which we would be hated of all men because of our association with Christ? No, because of our basic belief in the name. Now, I read to you last week from Isaiah 66, verse 5 and 6, 
someone has their Bible handy, turn there, and I want you to stand up and read this. I'm going to have participation from the congregation tonight. But when Jesus prophesies something, you've got to understand that that's the way it is. That's settled. See, from the dotting of the I to the crossing of the T, the jot of the tittle, everything in Scripture will be fulfilled. And if Jesus said this is going to be one of the signs of the last days, you mark it down, it's going to be that way. And if we are indeed living in the last days, we might as well get ready for it. All right, Isaiah 66, verse 5 and 6. Brother Capaccio has it. Stand up, turn around and look at everyone, if you would. Now, I mean, turn, face everyone, look at your Bible. <clears throat> All right. Okay, now, as you can see what the Scripture is saying, that, that uh, Isaiah, in his writings, of course, this is prophecy, as if God was speaking. Uh, he is making reference to people that just they just like to say, well, let's just let the Lord be glorified. And don't make a big issue out of the name. Of course, you are all aware, if you know anything about the Bible, that the Jewish nation has always been concerned about the deity of their God. And when I say deity of their God, maybe I should say they have always been concerned about identifying with their God, that God was indeed one. Uh, there is a great revelation that's coming, I believe, to the human race right now concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I pulled this uh, uh, transparency uh, out, and I wanted to show this to you. Brother Moran, come up here if you would, and we'll put this on. This, How many of you are familiar with the wheel of prophecy, who is God? Okay, a lot of you are. This was, just put that on if you would. You might be able to, I don't know if you can see this. Uh, let's show the, show the top first. The wheel of prophecy, who is God? As you can see in the top left-hand corner, God is a spirit. All right? Uh, maybe you can just point to these for me. I'm not set up really for transparencies tonight, but uh, <clears throat> on our overhead projector, God is a spirit. And then on the opposite side in the right-hand corner, there is but one God. Down in the bottom left-hand corner, Jesus is God. And then down in the right-hand bottom corner, Jesus is man. Now, I personally think of all of the tracks that you can find about the Godhead. See, there's no explanation given, really, just scriptures and the way it's put together. This is probably the best that you can find. Uh, this was uh, compiled by Brother C.P. Kilgore. He was one of our uh, pioneer ministers, Brother James Kilgore's father. Brother James Kilgore is one of our assistant general superintendents. Uh, and then in the middle, it says one God, and you can see what happens across, uh, opposite of, on the circle, you'll see Jesus is coming, 
and down across from that God is coming, and then clockwise God the Creator, then on the bottom Jesus the Creator, God the Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Redeemer and Savior, God the Shepherd, Jesus the Shepherd, God the King, Jesus the King, God the I Am and the I Am He, and Jesus the I Am and the I Am He, God the first and the last, and Jesus first and the last, God the rock, and Jesus the rock. These are all scriptures that, that identify Jesus with the God of the Old Testament. This, this is something that's very, very important for us to understand. When I was in Bible school, I served as youth director of our church in Houston, Texas, and I was teaching a youth class, just a real small youth class, and we took the young people out on Sunday, Saturday morning, and we started a bus ministry. We didn't have one. and We started witnessing, talking to people, and youth class started growing. A lot of people had questions about the Godhead. So I made a big, big chart that almost filled the wall and spent uh, almost a year teaching that, and this was the chart I made. We filled our little room up to capacity about 40, 45 young people. I was really amazed at how our young people got into this. Now, I want to say this. I know we have some guests here, and I just hope that you don't take any offense to what I'm saying. Uh, the Trinitarian doctrine that uh, was the, what should I say, predominant teaching of Christianity from 300 A.D. and up until the turn of the century, was introduced by actually the Catholic Church in 325 A.D. at the Nicene Council. Now, outside of uh, Israel, uh, the world was fairly much paganistic in its concept of God. And uh, very... Few, if any, in fact, I don't know of any uh, nation or peoples that served God outside of Jehovah God believed in only one God. Most all, and in fact, to my knowledge, all pagan uh, people believed in many gods. The Grecians, if you read the story in in, uh, in Acts 17, look at all the gods they, they believed in. Now, I, I think if you, if you look back and see how the Catholic Church developed, Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, united the church and the state. Uh, as a result, many pagan people, I meant people believing in many gods, uh, became Christian. Now, they became Christian through compromise, not through conversion. You follow what I'm saying? There is a difference. In other words, uh, the doctrine that was being introduced by uh, the Romans into uh, the pagan world uh, was a doctrine that... Uh, gave a lot of consideration to, to the pagans. And as a result, uh, the paganistic world influenced uh, Christian thinking. 
I, you know, you can search this out in, in history. Uh, example of that's December 25th that we have Christmas on. This was uh, the day in which the Grecians uh, celebrated and worshipped. Uh, it, it was a, a celebration day for the sun god. Uh, Christ, Christians change it to the birth of the Son of God. The uh, day that we have is Easter. This was also a pagan holiday. Uh, you may say, well, Brother Grant, that means we ought not to celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, uh, you could do it the day before or the day after. It really doesn't make any difference which day that you do it on as long as you understand why you're doing it and that you cut out your, you know, paganistic ways of doing it. you follow what I'm saying? I think the over-commercialization of Christmas has really been a curse to the holiday. But uh, <clears throat> I said that to say this. What we have in the Christian community today, as far as a concept of God, has a lot of roots in pagan philosophy. Now, this is a statement that I want to make that I hope that none of you take offense to. I think you, if you do, go to the public library and check out some books. But see, the Roman Catholic Church, in its beginning, all right, comprised of three different elements... And I think if I give you this, you'll understand why the Trinitarian doctrine became such a prominent doctrine. The, the Roman Catholic Church, in its beginning, comprised of these three elements. Number one, a touch of the Old Testament ceremonial law. That's where they get the priesthood from and such, Okay. I personally think, uh, before I go any further, in this explanation, I personally think a lot of pagan religions were deviations of true worship to Jehovah, where people just, on their own, they went off on a tangent. I think uh, a lot of that... Uh, it can be historically proven. But the Roman Catholic Church had a touch of the ceremonial law in it. Then it had a touch of Christianity in it. And I say a touch of Christianity in it because, you know, if you look through the New Testament, it's a stretch of the imagination to believe that the Apostle Paul, or all, or any of the Apostles, uh, worshipped, preached, conducted uh, services in any fashion similar to what the Catholics conduct services today. I mean, it's uh, pretty much a stretch of the imagination. And then the third thing is 
that the Roman Catholic Church had a touch of paganism in it. It's a combination of the ceremonial law, Christianity, and paganism. Uh, what was it, about 15 years ago? The, maybe 20 years ago, the Catholic Church, uh, they got their heads together, they're the leadership, and said, well, we got about 400 patron saints that you folks have been praying for all these years, and we just want to inform you that they never did exist, and it's just been a traditional teaching of ours, so let's all laugh it off and go to the bars and don't worry about somebody protecting you going home because he never was, he isn't now, or never will be. You follow what I'm saying? Now, to protect themselves, they believe in the supremacy of the church and the pope. Now, that simply means that the pope can make any ruling he wants to even contrary to the scripture and so they can say yeah the bible teaches that but the pope has ruled otherwise no oh, i'm serious with you now i mean you can go talk to catholics uh that is a knowledgeable catholic they'll tell you that it's also true they, they believe in the supremacy of the church so whatever the church does doesn't make any difference whether it's scripture or not it is law that's just the way it is. You know. Now, I'm not the Pope. See, I can't change Scripture. So I have to go by the Bible. You follow what I'm saying? Around the turn of the century, however, a lot of people begin to reconsider Scripture concerning the deity. Of Jesus Christ. Was he a prophet? Was he a man? Was he God? Who was Jesus Christ? It's a big, big question. We have some tracks. Uh, a couple of them that are entitled, or at least they have this connotation in mind. That Jesus Christ was... God manifests in the flesh. In other words, that's what they're aiming at. Who is Jesus Christ? I have a big, thick folder of messages that I've preached on the Godhead through the years. And I've got some tracts. I don't know, Brother Capaccio, did you draw that? I'm not for sure who drew this. Someone in our church did. It says, Who am I? And it's supposed to be a picture of Jesus. It's uh, quite a catchy little track. We used it on the campus for a long time. Uh, who do you say that I am? Now, what I'd like to do is turn to that scripture that's found in Matthew 16. Uh, all right. Brother Moran is pointing to this. Jesus the Rock, Matthew 16. And what I'd like to have you to do, I'd like for people to, to help me. I, I feel led of the Lord 
Uh, we've been teaching on the Godhead in Christian stewardship, Brother Manley has been. We're going to be touching some of these scriptures and teaching on the Godhead off and on. Now, we're, going to, we're not going to stay with it. We've got other things we want to talk about, but this is so very, very important. All right, Matthew 16, verse 13. So somebody stand up and read all the way through verse 18. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Who has that? Somebody closer to the back now. Okay, Sister Armenti Coleman, stand and read this. Now what Jesus basically is saying is that the church of the living God, is built upon the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I talked about revelation last Thursday night, and that's what I was aiming at, never to get to that part. In all of our sectional conferences, I'm I'm teaching and preaching, kind of preaching, you know, kind of in between, on the subject, the need of a new revelation. Uh, Not really a new revelation, but just... It'd be new to us. The world needs a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is explained like this. If you see that thing begin to melt, turn that off. Uh, truthfully, some of these transparencies have melted on me. Uh, we have some that won't, but some will. All right. The doctrine of the Trinity uh, that was formed at the Nicene Council and later on adopted by most all major denominations states that God consists of three persons. Notice the word persons is there. Notice the word three. Three persons. Each being co-equal Coexistent and co-eternal. Now that simply means that uh, just like I am body, soul, and spirit, uh, Brother Moran is body, soul, and spirit. Brother Repka is body, soul, and spirit. That the 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 Trinitarian doctrine teaches three persons. Let's come up here, Brother Repka, if you would, and Brother Moran. If you would. In other words, uh, if you talk, now most most Trinitarian people, by that I mean most people attending Trinitarian churches, don't really believe the Godhead this way. They really don't. Let's get over here away from the, the mic. I don't, I'm getting a ring. They don't believe it that way. And if you explain it like that, they say, oh, I, I never believed that. Uh, <clears throat> thank the Lord. But nevertheless... Uh, if you talk to their pastors, especially those who have been to uh, seminaries, they, they will explain it like this. I've had men of most all major denominations explain the Godhead like this. That God consists of three persons. The attributes of one is the same as the attributes of the other, or all three. So... We have God the Father, okay, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, each being co-equal. That means everything about this one is true about this one, and it's true about this one. 
coexistent. Now that simply means none had beginning and will not have any ending. Coexistent and co-eternal, that is, without ending. Now, <clears throat> when, you get a, when you really analyze that, they say, now this is the one, we only believe in one God, because you know, if you believe the Bible, you've got to believe that, because that's so plain in the Scripture. But when you analyze this, that is not what you're saying. You're actually believing in three gods. Why? Because the Trinitarian doctrine states three separate persons. Each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now when you analyze that, I don't care what Trinitarian people say about God, in that definition, they actually believe in three gods. And you just can't get around that. See. But yet on the other hand, there are contradictions in what they say because they say that they are co-equal. In other words, the Father is the Almighty. Then the Son has to be the Almighty. And the Holy Ghost has to be the Almighty. And you can have three almighty gods. So you can't do that. You can't. Now, what, what I'm concerned about, and that is that when you look at the Godhead, we've had a lot of people... Uh, coming into church to say, I'd like to know more about the Godhead. I'd like to study the Godhead. Uh, first, let me say, before we go any further, we do have a lot of good books available. Also, there have been articles in our recent uh, Pentecostal Herald publications by Brother David Menard. I have some of these. Here's one. This one's dated December 92. The Mediator Between God and Men, David K. Bernard. Uh, the Word Became Flesh, this is December 91, that's, that's a while ago. Very good articles. I don't know if you've been reading these or not. And then I have another one. I just don't have it clipped on the front. Uh, this one is in August of 92, and it is entitled, The Son of God. Now, I think this is so important for us to, to, to uh, bring out something at this point. Uh, if you will look at, uh, turn this back on if you would. If you will look at this track, and this is just a, an outstanding Bible study type track, uh, you will find that what the track is really saying is that, that Jesus was man, but there was more to him than just being a man. Uh, that, that Jesus is God and Jesus is a man. Those are on the bottom part. And, of course, the top part, God is a spirit. There is but one God. Now, here's, here's the problem that you have in reading the Scripture and interpreting the Scripture 
separate and apart from divine revelation. And that is, you will see, obviously you will see one side or the other of Jesus Christ. We have some people who are staunch oneness people, at least they claim they are, that uh, if you even mention Son of God or Son of Man uh, or even Sonship, they get, they get offended. I have heard some oneness preachers that couldn't even quote John 3.16 without changing the words of it. You know, for God, soul of the world, that He came Himself. Well, do I believe that? Yes, I do believe that. But I also believe that Jesus was the Son of God. All right? So what I'd like to do in just this introductory lesson as we get into this, I'd, I'd like to just uh, first talk uh, about uh, Jesus Christ. I think this would be something that would be very, very important for us to do. That is, from the standpoint of God and the standpoint of man. Here's a transparency that I had several years ago I put together. When I was teaching stewardship, Christian stewardship, actually it was a curriculum for new converts, the Godhead, this is the Trinity, uh, this is stating that all three are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal, that you actually are believing in three gods. That's, that's, that's basically it. Uh, I don't know how in the world you could get around it. Now, Let's turn to Matthew one twenty three. Now, I will not be able in this short Bible study tonight to dig up enough stones, to turn over enough stones, if you're confused about the Godhead, for you to clearly see where we're going. But I want you to take note. I want you to pray. I want you to read. I want you to look in the Scripture. Matthew one twenty three. I think if we start reading verse uh, 21, Matthew 1, 21, and through 25, we would get the, the story. Matthew 1, 21 through 25, and who has that? And who would like to read it? Brother Bill Thorpe has it, so he's going to stand and read this. All right, let's stop here. Now, Jesus was going to be born. Mary was to bring him forth. Now, he is called the Son of God. But now, I have this transparency on. Now, if there is a trinity, let me ask you, which one of these individuals are responsible for Jesus Christ? Well, naturally, if you notice the first one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Which one is responsible for Jesus? Well, in verse 20, verse 20, it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost would be the Father. Is that right? 
But why do you think the other one's labeled Father? Because He is the Father of all living. Basically, there's only one Spirit. We'll get to that. The truth of the matter is, when you look in the Scripture, both the Holy Ghost and God of the Old Testament are given credit for the birth of Jesus Christ. Is that right? Oh, we can prove that in the Scripture. That's why He was called the Son of God. But basically speaking, the Trinitarians label the first person of the Godhead God the Father because He was the Father of Jesus Christ. I heard one Trinitarian preacher explain this. In fact, he explained it to me. And I thought it was such a bizarre thing. I, I thought it was, you know, I couldn't believe. I said, now, you can't possibly believe this. So I was taught that in, in a seminary. And I heard later on on the radio another minister explain it. He said, by artificial insemination, that the Holy Ghost took the seed of God, the Father, and placed it in the womb of Mary. I laughed at that. I thought that's the funniest thing I ever heard of. It's almost, I mean, it's even today, it's because I've said it several times, it's not so funny, but when you really think of it, now that's a stretch of the imagination. I believe that's what was going on. But I did hear that on the radio later on, a prominent Trinitarian preacher made that statement. All right, go ahead, Brother Thorpe. All right, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus was God with us. All right? And then verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. All right? Jesus, basically, if you, if you look at the word Jesus, it basically means Savior. But carrying with it is not only the word Savior, but a description of who that Savior is. If you turn to Isaiah 12, verse 1 and 2, I think you can find out who that Savior is. Isaiah 12, verse 1 and 2. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Now, according to the Scripture, there is just only one Savior. If you will read these Scriptures... Put the other transparency back, Brother Moran. 
and from the Jesus' coming, or from the rock that we read from, clockwise, we go to about the two o'clock hour, and we see God, the Redeemer and Savior, Psalm 78, 34, and 35, Isaiah 47, 4, Isaiah 44, 6, Isaiah 43, 3 through 11, Isaiah 45, 21, Isaiah 49, 26, Psalm 106, 21, Luke 1, 46 and 47, all tell us that there is one Savior. And then, if we look at the opposite side of this, 1 John 4, 14, 1 Peter 2, and I'm sorry, my I can't make this out. I think it's 21 and 24. Acts 20, 28, Galatians 3, 13, Luke 24, 21 and 29, Luke 2, 10 and 11, John 4, 40 through 42, Philippians 3, 20, 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 through 3, 1 Timothy 4, 10, Titus 1, verse 1 through 4, Titus 2, verse 10 and 13, 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, and Jude 25 all tell us that Jesus is our Redeemer and Savior. Now I said all that then, to go back to the name Jesus, the word Jesus actually means Jehovah has become salvation or is our salvation. Now if you look at only the man's side of Jesus, and only the man's side of Jesus, it is easy then to become confused. But when you look at Jesus Christ, you must look not only at one aspect of Him, but you must also look at the other side of Jesus Christ. That while He was born of a virgin, the Bible tells us in Galatians, the 6th chapter, verse 4, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. That Jesus Christ was indeed a man. But He was also more than just a man. While He was man, spoke as a man, was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin, as a man... He also had the ability to perform miracles, forgive sins that only God can forgive. And was considered in the Scripture to be more than just a man. Let's turn to John 20, verse 28. And I'd like for someone to stand and read this Scripture for me. Now this has to do with Jesus appearing unto His disciples. And you have heard the story about doubting Thomas. How many of you heard the, how many of you heard the adjective doubting put on Thomas's name? Doubting Thomas. Describing him. All right. This is his confession. John 20, verse 28. And somebody stand and read this. Who has it? All right. Brother Thomas has it. Now he doesn't have it. <laughs> 
I doubt if Thomas has it. <laughs> All right. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now that's not just talking about the resurrection, but that's all talking about the deity. He made a statement, my Lord and my God. Jesus Christ was God with us. But yet he was man. Now what I want to attempt to do in in the next uh, few whenevers, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the uh, aspects of this chart going from one side to the other. I think it, it would be necessary for us to do this, that uh, talk about God as a spirit, talk about God being one, talk about Jesus as God, and also talk about Jesus as a man. And then I want to talk about Jesus is coming and God is coming. Some of these I will combine because it won't be necessary to spend uh, a whole lesson on them. But I think once we get through this that you're going to begin to look at things in a little bit different light. Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy 6.4 and we will see the foundation of the belief of the, the Jewish people relative to God. Now, most of you could quote this, Deuteronomy 6, 4. That's, my, that's a scripture that you've been quoting for years and years and years. All right? Who has this? And somebody stand and read it. Brother Gaminder has it. We'd like for him to read it. All right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, not too many years ago, uh, Jimmy Swaggart, I think, made a very bad mistake. Uh, I don't know why he did this. I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm being a little bit bold tonight by calling some names and even denominational names, and I don't like to do this, but I, I think in a case like this, uh, I'm trying to be kind and, and be factual. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart, about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, in his periodical that he sends out, and I forget the name of it. Anybody remember the name of it? I, I, I got those for a while, and I got this one. But he, he made the statement that he called, said the United Pentecostal Church are Jesus-only people. Jesus-only. Uh, I don't like that statement. I don't think it's a bad statement, to tell you the truth, but I know what they mean when they say that. They say, don't we, we don't believe in the Holy Ghost, and we don't believe in, in the Father. We just believe in Jesus only. And that's not true. And I made this statement several times, and I, I have used this in talking to Trinitarian preachers. I said, you say we don't believe in the Holy Ghost, and 90% of our, our conversation has been about the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost. You say you don't have to receive Him. I say you do. Now, why would you accuse me of being Jesus only, that I don't believe in the Holy Ghost, and you are arguing that you don't even have to receive the third person of your Trinity? 
Now, see, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. See, I believe that you must receive the Holy Ghost. I believe the apostles put emphasis on this. In Acts 19, Paul told the disciples, of, evidently of John the Baptist of Ephesus, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I don't think you can know Jesus without receiving the Holy Ghost. Not the way you need to know Jesus Christ. Because a ghost is a spirit of departed one. Jesus was the holy departed one. The Holy Ghost is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we'll talk about that next. But Jimmy Swagger called us Jesus only. And then he went on to, I mean, he really did blast us. And then he said, this is what he said. He said, don't you know that the Bible teaches two distinct lords, one of the Old Testament and one of the New? That's not true. If, if you do not have one of these and you'd like one of these, uh, perhaps next week we'll... Uh, let's do that. Uh, next week, Sister Carolyn. Is Carolyn in here? Let's supply everyone with one of these so we, we can go through this. But if you will notice on here, it talks about Jesus as being Lord and God as being the Lord of the Old Testament. I, I personally... Don't think that you, you know, that's a stretch of the imagination to believe that Jesus was a Lord separate and apart from the Lord of the Old Testament. And we, we, would, get in, we would get involved in that. But I remember what Brother Manley had uh, said when he, in a message that he preached, Brother Irv Manley. He said, now, if you don't like the truth or you don't like what we're doing, he said, you're better off to leave it alone. He cited several different situations in which area churches, seemingly they were growing and they came closer and closer and closer to truth and all of a sudden they were confronted with truth and they began to fight it. And when they began to fight it, guess what happened? They fell apart. There was a church here in town that received the Sunday School of the Year Award by the Evangelical Christian Association as having the fastest growing Sunday school in Wisconsin two years in a row. That church was going, it was growing, it was doing well. All of a sudden they solicited us to help them in their battle against some of the X-rated bookstores. We were glad to do that. We wanted to do that. The whole problem is that once we got involved, right downtown at City Hall, where we were discussing this, the pastor began to attack our people. And he says, you believe you have to speak in tongues, and you don't believe in once saved, always saved. And I mean, he just really developed a bad attitude. Well, the, the whole thing is that we were trying to get a Christian school started, and so we had applied for status with the ACE uh, school systems for their curriculum. They turned us down because he wrote a letter saying, we don't want Calvary Gospel Church to become a part of 
what we're involved in. Now you may say, why are you saying all this, Brother Grant? Remember my text was, ye shall be hated among all nations for my name's sake. He said, they are the people of the name. And they have distributed literature all over this city. And we're going to stop it. So I got a letter back stating that we had been declined membership in the ACE school system. We couldn't buy their curriculum from them. Well, it just so happened I called a good friend of mine, Brother Bill Sisko, who was in in Fort Smith, Arkansas, with Brother James Lumpkin. And would you believe in the office where I called Brother Sisko, Dr. Howard was sitting. Dr. Howard was the president and founder of the ACE school system. So I was talking to Brother Sisko, and I just happened to mention, I said, I got a letter today stating we were declined membership. He said, well, hold it just a minute. He said, Dr. Howard's right here in the office. He said, I, and, and tell me about it. So I told him what had happened, and he said, uh, Brother Grant, can I call you back in about 30 minutes or an hour or whenever? And I said, yes. He called me back and said, Dr. Howard wants to talk to you. So I talked with him, and then um, he said, well, what I want to do is set up an appointment with uh, our state representative in Oshkosh. So uh, he came down and talked with me. He said, understand you folks believe in Jesus' name baptism. I said, well, <clears throat> yes, we do. I, you know, Jesus is, is our Lord. And it was Jesus that died on the cross, you know. I was trying to be nice and at the same time trying to be not facetious, but just, you know, just give him some good answers to think about, see. I said, Jesus rose from the grave, and, you know, we're Christian all the way, and Christ's name is Jesus, so. <clears throat> we, we don't believe the Father died, see. We believe Jesus died, and baptism is a symbol of burial, and he said, oh, I think I can buy it. He said, but I understand also that you believe that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, I happen to know your church and know it well. My wife came out of your church, that denomination. I said, uh, isn't it true that you have to be baptized in order to be a member of your church? He said, you sure do. I said, well, <clears throat> you see, uh, we don't try to make it any harder to get to heaven than it is to get into the church. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> Or make it harder to get in the church and to get into heaven. See, I said, you're what you're doing, you're making it harder to get into your church than you are to get into heaven. Yeah, well, he said, uh, I have an application here, the one that you sent. He said, uh, I'm going to sign this. 
pulled out his pen and he signed it and gave it to me. <laughs> that was the end of it. Well, <clears throat> the church that I was making reference to that fought us so hard is not even in existence today. And if you drive through Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I did two years ago when our conference was in New Orleans, turn off the freeway, go out of town just a little ways, and you see this huge complex where Jimmy Swaggart was. You see several high-rise buildings that were never finished. Fences put up around them. Windows boarded up, weeds up about this tall. The ministry's gone. There are certain things you can't fight. You can't. Because if God extracts His blessings, you're only a mere shadow of your previous existence. If I understand the Scripture correctly, when I read what I read in Luke, you notice, you notice what this Scripture says? And this is prophecy about the coming of the Lord. Let's, let's turn there to, to Luke 17 again. Luke 21, 17, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Verse 18, But there shall not the hair of your head perish. And your patience possesses you, your soul. Sometimes you think, I'm being put down. But remember, right always overcomes might. If you're right, God's going to bless. And God's going to move. It will end up that way. It definitely will. Now, I've no doubt raised a whole lot of questions and I wish that I had time. I, I did promise Brother Sand, and I said we're going to be in these classrooms one hour. And to uh, you who are responsible for classes there, children's church, they are having a little problem with our great flexibility of time. They get the children in there, and we go an hour and a half. And sometimes we go 30 minutes when we have a guest speaker. <laughs> you know But you see, the, the situation with Jesus, and this is what we want to get into, we have to take a look at more than just one side of Jesus Christ. Because I can prove to you He was indeed a man. But in proving He was a man, that does not mean He was not God. I can prove to you He was God. But in proving He was God, that's not saying He was not a man. All right? First Timothy 2.5 would be the Scripture that I want to just read to you just to talk about uh, one side of Jesus Christ. And if someone would stand up and read this, I would appreciate it. First Timothy 2, verse 5. All right, Sister Cindy. All right. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, 
the man, Christ Jesus. God became man so he could be a mediator between God and man. Now, let's read Revelation 1, 8. Now, that's talking about the man, Christ Jesus. And we're going to give studies on each one of these. So, Revelation 1, verse 8. Would you, someone stand and read this? Who has it? Brother Rutherford, would you be so kind as to stand and read this? Brother Rutherford can read Scripture like nobody else can. Praise God. Now that's talking about Jesus Christ. You don't have to back up very far to find out. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end, ending saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, someone pointed out to me, and I just want to give you this little line of logic. I've heard a lot of different things about about, about the Bible. I, I've heard even ministers say, well, I'd rather believe Jesus than Peter to get around Acts 2.38. You know? Somebody pointed out to me, they said, yeah, but you notice the Almighty is not in red. That simply means that, that what Jesus, was, Jesus didn't say it. Saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. And they said the Almighty is not in red. I asked the individual, I said, well, do you believe the whole Bible is inspired of the Lord? Yes. I said, well, then... Jesus made a statement, but the remaining part of it's inspired of, of, of the Lord. The whole Bible's inspired of the Lord. Well, he said, I place more stock in that which is in red. I said, well, you, you better make sure that you search it out because it varies from publisher to publisher. It all depends on who published the Bible. You know, if it's a Nelson Bible, it might deviate somewhere, what, from a Thompson chain where the it's in red. Because there are, well, the truth of the matter is, that's just, uh, that's probably as shallow of an argument as I've heard any place. You follow what I'm saying? It, And, of course, the Almighty, this is making reference. If you notice Isaiah 9 and 6, and I'd like you to stand, and we're going to read Isaiah 9, verse 6, in closing. Like the little boy said, he asked his mom, he says, what does it mean when the preacher looks at his watch? <laughs> and the mom says, son, it means absolutely nothing. <clears throat> Who said that? Norman? Did you say that, Norman? That sounded like Norman's voice to me. 
You lie, you fry. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. I'll tell you. Somebody sent me a card today, had a cute little thing in it. It says, now Brother Grant said, you are a fantastic leader. That sounds so great. You know, I believed every word of it. No. <laughs> this brother, from way across the state, does this occasionally. He's always, he said, you are a fantastic leader. But keep in mind, the devil likes to just chip away at good leaders. He said, keep this in mind. It's not the ups and downs and the bumps in life that get you. It's the jerks. <laughs> oh my <clears throat> Isaiah 9 and 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given notice the word son is mentioned here in this verse Jesus Christ is called a child he's also called a son and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful. Let's say it together. Wonderful. Counselor. Counselor. Let's say that together. Counselor. The mighty God. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace, and His name is Jesus. I tell you the revelation that's coming to a lot of people. I heard a main line Trinitarian preacher the other day preaching, and he quoted John 3.16. Now this was very meaningful, knowing what I have heard this man say about the Godhead. He said, do you know when you quote John 3.16, he said, according to the recent knowledge that I have gained, I can quote it like this, for God so loved the world that God came in the form of a man. I said, oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Dr. Howard, who's responsible for the ACE curriculum, you know what he said in Brother Sisko's presence that night? He said, you know, when I put the curriculum together, he said, did you know that I drew a symbol of God? It was a triangle. And there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he said, I don't see it like that anymore. I see it as a circle, inseparable. It's like the shell of an egg, the white of an egg, and the yolk of an egg. I see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one. Little wonder then that we heard just three or four months ago that Dr. Howard had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and magnify Him. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
Oh, God. Let's go, Jesus. You know, oh, Jesus. Let's sing the chorus. There's something about that name. And as we sing it, we want you to find a place to pray. If you're a guest of ours and you'd like to come and pray with us, please find your way right down to the front. You can kneel down here along with someone, perhaps even someone that you attended church with tonight, and pray and seek God. This is the hour that we need to seek the Lord. Oh, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the phrase.